Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness and opportunity in VFX, animation and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects animation and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello and welcome to another Access VFX podcast, episode 35. This is our first special podcast with the uh, the team from Chicago, the Access VFX chapter over over in the Windy City. So big, uh, big, make some noise, make some noise. Come on. Okay. So uh, as this is a uh, Chicago special, it seemed right and proper to have uh, one of our big hitters. For, I use that term a lot on the podcast. Big hitters from the uh, uh, the Chicago chapter. Kate Sochka, have I pronounced that name right? Kate? Yeah, very good. Amazing, from Carbon VFX. So I'm going to hand over to Kate to take over the helm. I'm going to disappear through kind of the virtual back door and leave you to it. And this episode is about freelancing and freelancing tips, whether it be the, the, the current thrust of freelancing or freelancing within the current climate, the current lockdown. So Kate, I'm going to hand over to you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you, Simon. Hi, everybody. Like he said, we're calling this episode Freelancing Tips, and we'll be talking about how to become a freelancer, pros and cons of freelance versus staff position, exciting stuff like taxes and insurance, networking, um, promoting yourself and your reel, and hopefully these panelists will share some stories about successes and failures, since those are just as important. Um, so yeah, we'll get right into introductions. I'm Kate Suchka, head of production at Carbon. I've been in the industry for about 15 years already, <laughs> and I'm really happy to be working with Access VFX, planning live events, studio tours, networking opportunities, and now podcasts and videos. Um, and then I'll throw it over to Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan Urban. Um, I'm a VFX supervisor and compositor, and I've been in the industry now going on 14 years. And Katrina? Cool. Hey, I'm Katrina Zimmerman. Uh, I'm currently a senior art director over at Carbon, uh, but I have many years of freelance experience under my belt. And I've been working at Carbon for just under a year. Cool. I'm Andrew Maggio. I'm an editor who's uh, found a niche working in motion graphic and VFX workflows. Uh, I've been in the business for 19 years. I was full-time for nine years and uh, now freelance for 10. Cool. My name is Sarah Kaki. Um, I am a freelance illustrator and animator. Um, I've been freelance on and off for probably about the 10 years I've been in the industry with uh, the last two years being freelance full-time. Um, yeah. Great. I'm uh, Matt Sackley. I'm a freelance character animator. Um, I've been freelance my whole career, all six little over six years of it. Um, yeah, so character animation and previs pretty much is what I do. Very cool. Thanks, guys. And links to everyone's personal sites will be listed below or in the info section of the platform. So definitely check those out. All of these folks are super talented. And thank you guys again for being here today. Um, so we've got a lot of recent graduates trying to enter the job market right now, people who may be considering going freelance. 
and also probably current freelancers who are interested in hearing how you all have navigated this so far. So the first question I have, and I'll throw this to Andrew first and then Sarah, is in your opinion, what are some of the pros and cons of being freelance, you know, let's say as opposed to a staff position? Andrew? Um, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of pros, obviously. Uh, I, I think variety and uh, flexibility are, are two of the biggest ones. Um, but especially if you're just starting your career, one of the advantages of freelance can be you sort of get trial runs um, at many different places and studios working with different clients and people uh, to sort of gauge where you want to fit in and, and start your career. Um, it, it's just a sort of a good way for, for companies to get to know you and introduce yourself to them uh, in a sort of project-based way. And it, it's also a good thing for you to then um, you know, sort of decide what your next steps will be, uh, whether you want to continue freelance or if you want to, you know, choose to remain at uh, one of these studios full time. Very cool. Yeah, Sarah. Uh, yeah, so um, there's a lot of pros and there's a few cons. Um, a huge pro is I think it really pushes you to be a better artist because you can simply just not be hired again. Um, that said, you know, people, can choose not to bring you back on and it's easier than firing you. Um, so you always need to be pushing yourself really, really hard. And um, that can be great. Uh, also, um, you miss out on some of the culture aspects um, of being part of a really large company. Um, being part of a really large company can be great. It can be stressful. Um, you know, there's definitely getting to know the people you work with and having them mentor you. But being freelance, sometimes you can escape that and that can actually be a stressful situation. And, um, you know, freelancing is kind of a freedom from that if, if that's not something you enjoy. Right, yeah, absolutely true. Katrina, I know that you were freelance and then now you said you're staff at Carbon. What do you, what do you find is the big difference? Well, when I was freelance, I really enjoyed the uh, just crazy amount of hustle that was involved with being a freelancer. Like you really do wear a lot of hats, you know, as far as like being an artist, uh, you know, your own art director, your project manager, your scheduler, your producer, you kind of have to play all these roles. And that was really uh, important to me. Um, and I felt like it really inspired me to keep moving and keep growing and um, just con it's just like the constant hustle was what was my fuel. Uh, mm -hmm. I realized that by doing that, my, uh, my work wasn't as, I wasn't producing the work that I wanted to do just because I was playing all these roles. So when the opportunity at Carbon came up, uh, I just felt it was the right time for me, having all this experience freelancing, to move on and work with the team and get to focus more on the work uh, than the process. Great, yeah, interesting. And Ryan, I know you've been in the game for a long time too. Um, what do you think is the best part of freelancing? Ooh, uh, I mean, to piggyback on what everyone else just said, I mean, you, you do get a little bit more of opportunities to kind of see what is out there. You know, like what does this shop do? What does that shop do? 
which then also, you know, you get to play in the sandbox of other great talent. Um, sometimes when you're full-time at one place and only one place, you really only know what they've presented to you or what happens at that place. Um, so like I've been freelance and full-time in and out and, you know, it's just a great opportunity to kind of, there's, there's like, like Sarah said, there's a, there's pros and cons to both. Um, but it's, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt, you mentioned that you've been freelance your entire career, right? And with all that experience, like, what do you think is the most challenging aspect of that? Um, I think for me, well, one, when I was first starting out, it was way more challenging because I didn't have any studio experience. I didn't have any connections really built up other than like classmates and alumni that I had reached out to. But um, I think the thing that I always kind of just like stress about now is like when you take time off it seems like that's when all the work wants to come so it's like that balance of like I just got to tell myself I'm going to take a vacation or take a week here or something and I think that's something that when you are a staff artist and you have that allotted vacation time and you're getting paid for it you know the the balance of do I, have I saved enough money and all this, you know, the logistics of that stuff that you got to always kind of be thinking about more when you're freelancing, I think is something that many freelancers I've talked to are always fighting that battle. Right. Kind of how to achieve that work life balance when <laughs> there's yeah. so much flowing into each other. Sure. I mean, there, there's a level of like guilt, like he's saying, like, of like, Oh, I want to take a week off. Oh, now this other shop that I've never worked with is wants to reach out and book me. And it sounds like a really cool project. So I'm going to push the vacation or, you know, cancel taking that job. So it's a, it's a constant kind of, you have to weigh the pros and cons for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the people who are interested in freelancing, you know, maybe they're new into the industry. Um, what kind of details should they, and Ryan, let's ask you this first. What kind of details should someone consider when they're making a reel or putting together a portfolio? Uh, I mean, put on there what speaks to you and be mindful of what's out there to some degree. Um, you know, some of the bigger shops that have been around for decades might still only have a couple minutes on their reel. So why should a student have like five, seven, eight minutes on their reel? You know, it's like, keep it smaller. You know, we know that if you're coming right out of school, you might not have had as much exposure to projects and things like that. So put your best foot forward and keep it short and maybe save follow-up projects and things like that for when you get that first call or interview. Um, you know, if you put everything online for someone to see, then we can view it and judge it before we call you. <laughs> Got it. So you're saying you'd rather have a shorter, stronger reel than just something that's a couple minutes and maybe lets things play out too long. Yeah, I, I think shorter is better. And, you know, with even knowing your audience too, like, is this a, you know, is it a recruiter or is it a supervisor at a shop or is it just a fellow artist? Like, you know, there's, there's, you're going to get different feedback and different thoughts behind that. But if you have a solid one minute reel, that's going to be stronger than a solid one minute plus one minute of filler stuff. So, you know, don't beat yourself up and say, well, this guy who's been doing it for 10 years has way cooler stuff on the reel. Well, that's probably going to be the case. 
Right. But then what, what do you have that is going to show your best foot forward to give talking points in that interview and to the, you know, the people that are going to be hiring you. Right. Do you guys feel that for somebody starting out a minute is kind of good to shoot for, or should they not even be thinking about length and just looking at the strongest moments? Um, yeah. Personally, the um, advice I was always given um, from my mentors was it's not so much about the length as it is like if you only have one or two really good pieces, that should be what you put on your reel because the, they're going to judge you on your worst piece on your reel, not on your best piece, really. So don't put anything on there that you don't think can get you hired with. Um, that, that was my philosophy when making a reel, at least. That's good. And question for Katrina. Let's say you have, you know, these pieces assembled. How can you trust that your skills are good enough when you're entering the market? How do you know when you're ready to put it out there? Right. Well, I would say if you, even if you don't feel like you're ready to put it out there, put it out there because you're never, you're not going to know unless you like take that next step forward and make mistakes. Like if you take on a project that's probably bigger and what you can handle, yeah, that's probably going to be really embarrassing for you, but it's something that you're going to learn from. Uh, you, you know, it's not going to keep you up all night, every night and haunt you. <laughs> like making mistakes and jumping for that next, you know, level is the only way you're going to figure out where you're at and where you need to improve as a freelancer. Uh, so yeah, I would always, I would just say like, don't be afraid of like challenging yourself and making mistakes. Yeah, very cool. And Ryan, I know that you often will hire teams of freelancers for certain projects. And obviously you're looking at their reels and everything. Do people still need to be making resumes? Is that, is that a thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, I would say it's absolutely necessary. Um, I mean, obviously with tools like LinkedIn, that's helpful. And you, know, you have less excuse to kind of stay current of what people are doing. Uh, but kind of more in like the formalities and, you know, sometimes in corporate or studio work, we want to know what's on, you know, what your resume is about. And that doesn't necessarily mean job experience related to the industry, but to show that like, you know, you did this and you did this and you're, you're trying, um, you know, we've seen people in completely different industries that have a chunk of time on their resume at a completely different field but that shows that they were dedicated to that craft for a while and you know, they're hardworking people and now they're ready to ship. So it's not going to be held against them, but it's definitely something that does come up. And I would strongly encourage people to keep a resume kind of current in the background. Right. Both of them resume real up to date. <laughs> looking good. Yeah. And question for Andrew um, for people or who are entering into freelance or you guys, um, how do you set goals for yourself as a freelancer? And for someone starting out, what should their ultimate goal be? Um, it's, it's a good one. I, I certainly set goals for myself even after 10 years. Uh, I sort of set long-term goals as well as short-term goals. Uh, the long-term goals tend to be a bit more of an annual thing. Uh, things like work I want to be doing, studios or people I want to be working with, uh, and just, you know, how to reach out, make those contacts, and um, 
you know, maybe it's something that's not on my reel and the, the type of work I, I want to do more of trying to, trying to get it into, uh, that, that style of work. Um, you definitely don't always attain your goals. Uh, a lot of the times so though, that's a good thing because most of the time if I'm not achieving, especially personal goals that I set out for myself, which is, uh, you know, learning new skills and things like that, it usually means that I was too busy that year. And, and so, you know, you, you also have to give yourself a, a break uh, when, when you don't achieve those goals. But, the, you know, the ultimate goal uh, starting as freelancers is, you know, we are small businesses. Uh, so, so I would say surviving is, is one and, and making sure that your bills are getting paid and, and there's some sort of money coming in. Um, but just starting out as well, I think a good goal to have is, is really just to build that network um, and, and gain experience. And, you know, if you're just starting out, even if you have a great reel, uh, you might not be getting put on, you know, large projects or, or working with the team. Uh, you really just want to sort of get a feel for the business, get a feel for how working with other people in a professional setting works. And uh, the more experience you get in that and the more success you have in those situations, the more likely you're going to be brought back. And that goes back to then that first goal of surviving and <laughs> making sure your bills are, are, are being paid. Right. We're all just trying to survive. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and building off that for Sarah. So I've got my reel. I'm, I'm a new freelancer. What kind of jobs should I be looking for as a new entrant? Um, I think that's a great question. I wish I had someone to tell me how to pick those jobs when I was younger. Um, I'd say stay simple personally. Um, jobs that aren't too complicated, don't bite off more than you chew. Um, maybe try working for a production house rather than take on a big client by yourself. Don't work on a nine minute explainer video. Maybe try some lower thirds, uh, some title cards, um, something where you're facilitating a senior artist, um, something where you can kind of focus on the inner workings of being a freelancer before you are trying to become the best animator or designer that there is out there. Um, and kind of learn in a situation where you can still learn from people um, because you're not quite the expert yet. Um, you know, cause there's going to be a lot of parts of this. You're like, yeah, I can do a lower third. No problem. It's going to be easy, but you're not thinking about, you're going to have to figure out how you're going to invoice um, clients, how you are going to meet these clients expectations um, ways to advertise yourself. You are basically running a really small business and that's going to be just as hard as animating. So taking on smaller projects and looking at, um, uh, freelancing is another job you're going to also be doing in tandem with this. Yeah. I think that's really good advice being okay with being in learning mode, especially yeah. at the beginning and not trying to, you know, climb the, to the top of the mountain immediately on your first job. <laughs> you want to do a good job, but yeah, perspective. Um, question for Matt and Ryan, I think too, um, how do you guys get asked back by clients? You're, you know, you're on there. Do you ask for feedback from your clients? And if so, how do you do that? Um, so for me, I definitely, when I was just starting out my very first freelance job, um, it was kind of interesting because it was just with one studio and it ended up being like two and a half years of work because it was for a TV series. 
So I was a freelancer, but it was my only job because it was just so much work. Um, but I made a point to, after every episode that we finished, I would send an email to my animation supervisor and I was always asking him for like, how did I do this episode? What can I be improving on? Um, and all sorts of stuff. And he was such a good mentor for me. And he was on the other side of the world, which was crazy too, because it was all remote. And he would send me these great emails back and all sorts of resources. And I think it was just building that relationship with him that I kept getting asked back for more episodes. And um, that was something that I've tried to continue. I always try to build a relationship with my leads and my supervisors and try to ask them for advice and tips and things like that over the years. And even just outside of work too, just like find common interests that we can talk about because it's not just about work all the time. So. Right. There's a human on the other end. (laughs) Yeah. But being able to take some criticism, right. And not necessarily take it personally and be upset about it, but see it as a learning opportunity for moving forward. Yeah, Ryan, what are your thoughts about that? How how do you ask I mean, for people? How do you get yeah, asked? I mean, especially like when you're kind of first starting out, you know, you you know, you just graduated, you maybe you were the best in your class or you felt like you were the best in your class. You know, there's a fine line of being confident and arrogant. And like you you want to make sure when you're going into these places, you know, you're surrounded probably by people that have been doing it for a lot longer than you. So maybe you know newer techniques that they don't know, but then I brought a prop. You should still be a sponge and try to absorb as much as you can from the people that you're working with um, and learn from them and see how they react to questions from their supervisors and the producers and, you know, learn, learn, learn. Like, I think that's going to be the biggest ticket for getting invited back somewhere to work. Um, I've seen multiple times, over the years that sometimes personality and skills, people are going to go with the person with the personality. Just because if you're stuck in a room with someone for six months, you want to enjoy that. Um, <laughs> right. Especially because we are working so much. You want to enjoy the people you're working with. You want to enjoy the job you're doing. So yeah, I think that's really important. Katrina? I just wanted to say too, like, uh, and you don't have to have like, a big personality just as long as you are a positive person and just like generally like easy to work with and like just not a mean person (laughs) (laughs) be a sponge don't be mean (laughs) well i mean to add to add to that too it's like yeah a lot well i shouldn't say a lot but more often than not there are very talented introverts in our industry and they're not like show going out type people but they're extremely nice to work with they're well you know you don't mind when they're sitting in the room with you and you know you can bounce ideas off of them and they're kind and we're kind to each other and that's that's an important trait that all freelancers starting out should know (laughs) agree agree so as a freelancer starting out and i'm trying to find these people who i want to be working with how do i do that i want to open this up to the group what's the best way to make initial contacts in the industry and where do you guys look for jobs? Who wants that one? Yeah, Matt? um, So when I was about to graduate, I already knew I was going to be freelance just based on where I was living and we weren't moving to any big hubs for VFX anytime soon. And so I knew I had to work remotely and 
I knew an alumni animator that was doing remote character animation out of Kansas City, which is not a known city for character animation. Um, and he has been doing it forever. And he, um, his name's Chris Main, by the way. He has an excellent job spreadsheet that I can share with um, later. But he gave me the advice of how to reach out to people on LinkedIn and just cold introduce yourself and how to do it professionally. And that was my biggest tip to build my network was I started about a month before I graduated and just started reaching out to any studio, following studios, and most people didn't respond, but eventually one of those turned into my two and a half year gig because it was right timing and I had a reel and things like that. So, so I think- it does work. LinkedIn does can- work. <laughs> a lot of my jobs have come from LinkedIn and reaching out to people, just straight up messaging people. So- very that cool. was something for me. Yeah. Yeah. How did you guys make your initial contacts? Where do you look for jobs? Um, I, I'll yeah. take one. I mean, I, I'll definitely reinforce the uh, reach out to people aspect of it. Um, I would say every single one of my jobs in 10 years has come from a, a referral or somebody that I've worked with at some point directly. Uh, I don't think I've gotten one project from LinkedIn. And I don't, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't utilize LinkedIn very much. Um, I find sometimes it could feel a little impersonal the way sometimes people utilize LinkedIn. It, it almost feels like I, I get a lot of messages sometimes from uh, other people looking for work. And if it feels like I'm one of 200 people that that message got sent to that day, I will certainly ignore it because you know it wasn't directed towards me. Whereas if I got a message that was far more personalized and far more directed towards me, somebody genuinely seeking my help on something, I'm uh, far more likely to actually reach out to that person and, and get back in touch and, and help them. Uh, and I treat my correspondence with people the exact same way where I tend to reach out to people I have some sort of personal, uh, at least interest in even, and you know, want to know more about them, want to know more about, uh, you know, what information that they have uh, versus just stock sort of cold call emails. Yeah, very important. I know Matt mentioned earlier that he had a mentor early on. Show of hands, did any of the rest of you have a mentor early on? Yeah, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Do you think that's important? Do you think you have to have a mentor? Um, so I, I went to Columbia College for a degree in illustration and I took one animation class um, and when I graduated the economy was in rough shape um, which I'm sure some of you will be able to relate to very soon it was extremely hard to find a job um, Columbia College had a what's like the inverse of a job fair so instead of you going up to tables that are looking for employees you are an employee sitting at a table and um, employers come up to you and one of the um, people that came up to me worked for like a boutique um, animation house called the material group um, and they asked me if I'd be interested in doing animation and I originally wanted to become a traditional animator before I became an illustrator they meshed well and so you know I just kept on following up with them about it um, they showed interest and they came up to me so it was easy to facilitate that relationship and 
Um, I worked with Amador Valenzuela a lot. Um, he probably gave me like four years worth of animation knowledge. I kind of learned how to be an animator on the job. Um, so for me, it was invaluable. And back then there weren't, um, you know, there wasn't school of motion and there weren't a ton of tutorials outside grayscale gorilla. So it was really, really, really important back then. Now I'm not as sure. Um, I think that being mentored is in a, of immense value. I think it's a huge dedication from that mentor and it's going to be difficult to find from my experience just because you're asking a lot of that person if you can find it hundred percent do it um, but there are other resources now it's not your only avenue and I know for a lot of people like editors um, maybe someone else can speak to this but it's pretty much an industry norm I don't think for 2d animators it's as much of a norm and I think it definitely uh, depends on the production house right right and this is a good opportunity to do a shout out for the access VFX website because there is a big section about mentorship or you can volunteer to be a mentor or find one, which is really, really cool. People from all over the world. So check that out if you're interested in mentorship. Um, Ryan and Katrina, you, you had some thoughts about mentorship as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would just say uh, you can also, you don't have to like hone in on one person. Uh, feel free to ask questions to anyone and everyone. And that's definitely something that I did. Uh, and also, uh, when I first started out, I was working part-time as a hostess, and I would just kind of talk about my interests with people, and eventually it opened up all these, like, strange avenues I never thought I would, like, get into. Like, when I graduated, I had no idea this industry existed. Um, and like Sarah said, like, I didn't really animate that much like in After Effects in uh, college. Like I was never taught like, hey, this is how you network. This is like how you invoice. Like this is the stuff you need to know. So um, luckily I did get an internship and I met a bunch of people in the industry through that and uh, eventually started going to the um, Chicago Motion Artist Group meetups, which are huge now. And they're such a valuable resource, I think, for uh, new people coming into the industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I was gonna say some, something similar that when you know you, you hear the term mentor and you think of oh, it's this one person that is sharing all this knowledge to you, but in reality, you might have multiple mini mentors or something that like help you out. Um, like when I went to school for editing and motion graphics, and I had like friends that were already you know two years out that have already been kind of doing it, so you know probably my initial mentor was my friend who's been doing it for two years. And I was like, Hey, how did you do that? And what, like, can you help me? And not to take away your business, but like, can you <laughs> shed some light on that? And then, you know, when I segued into VFX, I had a mentor that kind of took me under his wing and taught me everything on the job for, you know, eight plus years. So it, it was, the mentors are, they're different calibers and different scopes, but you can learn different things from different people. Right, absolutely. And your mentors can connect you to potential clients, you know, maybe they'll hire you to work with them on a project and perhaps even expand your reach into other cities or other markets. Um, just a quick show of hands, how many of you work in different markets or have worked in different cities? For everybody. 
Okay. <laughs> um, Andrew, how did you, how do you break into another market? Um, for me, it you know, I, I was very fortunate that I had spent nine years being full-time at a large studio that had offices uh, in other in other markets in other cities and so when I went freelance I had already sort of established through cross-pollination of those different offices uh, a network of people that I knew that I liked working with um, and, and so for me when I announced going freelance um, it, it was really just reaching out to some of those people who happen to be in, in other cities uh, if, if you want to work in other markets, uh, especially if you live in a, a smaller market like Chicago, even a smaller city, uh, the opportunities these days are immense compared to, you know, even just 10, 10 years ago. I mean, as an editor, I usually have to get on an airplane and, and be in that location. Uh, but even now, that's becoming less and less where remote work, uh, especially the, some of the studios that I've been at, uh, they're far more likely now to say, hey, we've worked with them, we know them, we trust them. And in, instead of flying them out and, and having them here, we can, we can just do it from home. Uh, but nowadays, uh, if, as long as you understand the pipelines and people trust you and they know, uh, you know you're going to do the, the job right, I, I think there's really no reason to restrict yourself to the market you're in. And you can find a lot of great opportunities, uh, even outside of the larger markets uh, a lot of the smaller markets in this country have a lot of great work a lot of great studios and they tend to need more talent it's harder for them to find talent in these smaller markets that if, if you come along and, and you say hey you know i i'm in city x but i really like what you guys are doing and i'd love to help out wherever you could a lot a lot of times you'll get a really good response yeah yeah i think that's a great point um qu question for sarah so we're doing this thing, we're reaching out to people, we're hearing back, we're networking, and people want to work with you, and they put you on hold. So the question is, how do you manage your diary or your calendar? Do you go on who's going to give you the most money? Do you go on who has the longest booking? How do you make the determination of what jobs you're going to do? Uh, okay, so that's probably honestly my opinion for me the hardest part of freelancing is the whole policies um they're confusing and i've thought about giving them up completely in the past but unfortunately i think they're kind of here to stay um there's the policy that a lot of people do i don't do this and i'm given a lot of slack by it by other freelancers but the hold yourself policy because then if you hold yourself no one's gonna know and you can always say I'll pick, you know, um, for example, Buck reached out to me and I'm on hold uh, with a couple different freelance houses. You can hold multiple people on second um, and then take your, your dream client if they call you up and put them in as your first hold um, if they decide to book you. Um, I generally don't do that. Um, I do give out my first hold only to production houses that have booked me a lot. Um, that don't give me a lot of slack when I get booked. Like they don't try to challenge something and then don't actually book me. Um, or they tend to just, you know, really follow through, treat me well. Um, you know, give you first hold to people who deserve it. Um, don't just give it away. Um, and I think if you tell your client you give them first hold, they really do appreciate it. 
Um, that's something that people don't really talk about. Um, whereas um, if you're always giving someone second hold, they are less likely to book you because they're not sure they're going to get you. Um, they're taking a little bit of a risk because they think they're going to have to challenge someone or someone else is in that first slot, even if it's just you. Um, so that's a good thing to keep in mind. Right. Absolutely. Cause everybody does it a little bit differently too. Yeah. Um, Ryan, how do you handle your, your calendar bookings and holds and all that? Uh, well, I mean, the hold game, as Sarah said, is kind of messy. Um, you unfortunately have to kind of play along to some degree. Uh, but what works for one person might not work for someone else. Um, so, you know, if you're, basically what Sarah just said. Uh, those are like the stipulations of the hold game. But if you ever describe the hold game to any other industry, they will look at you with like a deer in headlights and they say that makes no sense. So it, you know, not to deflect and push it back on recruiters, but they have some responsibility in the schedulers at these shops to understand that when you put someone on hold for six months, that means nothing until you book them. <laughs> Yes, right. it's, it's like a, you can give yourself, you know, that opportunity and say, hey, this place wants to put me on hold. Great. But you can sit there for six months and not get booked by them. So that is a touchy subject. Uh, Sarah mm -hmm. raised her hand. You want to continue yeah, with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll just amend that and say we could probably do an entire video conference on this call. Um, and there was a really great article that came out on Motionographer. I think it's called like please hold me or something like that, that just goes into like brutal detail of the entire and just analyzes it with a fine tooth comb. It's really insightful and it just kind of critiques the whole industry of like the whole policies. Every, everyone's just doing what everyone else is doing. And I think that article is really well written and will give you a lot of insight in how to approach the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I just was going to say, too, I think the hold system was the biggest, like, new thing to me when I was freelancing, especially when I moved into advertising. When I was doing more, like, television-based work, it was almost like contracts and stuff, and you kind of knew the work was awarded. It wasn't this, we have a project that might award on Friday, and then you might need to start Monday, like, and you get called at 7 o'clock at night to potentially start the next week. and well, that isn't necessarily super common. It's common enough that you are always kind of thinking about that. And that was something that no one ever explained the whole system to me. And I was so glad when that article was written that now students can like, I can send this to people that are thinking about freelancing. So be like, read this and really try to understand it. Cause it's something that's like, no one really tells you about this when, when you're, thinking about getting into freelancing, at least in my experience. Right, exactly. And then with dealing with people who are trying to book you, who want to book you and having this weird kind of stutter step thing happen, that can be yeah. tricky. Yeah. Katrina, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, just to keep in mind that as a freelancer, your time is your business. And when you develop these relationships with studios, you tend to, you know, be a little lax on the hold system. The whole system is there to protect you and it's there to protect uh, studios as well. Uh, you know, you keep people in order based on when they reach out, based on when you are available. Um, but if like your, your studio is like gonna book you and they challenge your hold and you 
have like a relationship with another studio that has you on first hold, you still need to stick to like the 24 hour release policy. And when you get into this hold system, there's so many different aspects as everybody has been saying, it's a little confusing, but there's a part of you that wants to, um, you know, you put your uh, friendships on, you feel like you put your friendships on the line and like your relationship with the studio. But in reality, you just have to remember that this is your business. Like that's your time. Right, right. Andrew, you got a point? Uh, yeah, I, I was just going um, to add to one of the earlier statements as far as balancing uh, creative versus, you know, more, more lucrative jobs that in, in this system, aside from the hold system, that there's been plenty of times, you know, if things have been a little dry for a while uh, or a job comes up and you, you take it only for the next day or two days later, you know, for a much better, more creative job, job to come up. And, you know, that, that's just something that is, is part of freelancing. It's kind of part of business in general uh, in that, you know, you do have to sort of decide on your own what's more important to you at, at that time. Is it important to take the, the longer job that might be a little bit more bread and butter work or is it important to take something that might just be two days worth of work but might be something that, you know, is going to look outstanding on your reel? Um, it's a hard thing to balance and it's something that you never really have to commit to all the time as a freelancer. It's just something that can sort of ebb and flow uh, based on, you know, how busy you are and, and what opportunities you, you have at the time. But I've, I've certainly missed out on some, some really cool projects uh, that a lot of times you see them finished and you're like, wow, that turned out really cool. I, I wish I was able to do that one, but it, you know, in, instead I was already booked on, on, on this smaller thing, but that that's, that's just part of it, uh, you know, and you, you always have to understand that the larger studios deal with that exact same situation as well. Right, right, absolutely, yeah. And as someone who books freelancers, you, you know, it's always nice to get those personalized notes that you guys had mentioned earlier, where it's like, I really wish I could work with you. I'm sorry, you know, someone else has me on this hold. I have to take it. Please keep me in mind, you know. All of that type of stuff, you know, means something because that you're being honest, but I'm respecting you as a business person and you're still trying to establish that connection with me as a client. So, yeah. Um, so starting out as a freelancer, how, how do I get myself set up as a business, you guys? How do I become, you know, and do I need to be an LLC? How do you, Matt, how did you do this? So I still, to this day, am not an actual business. Um, the last three years, all the studios I've worked for actually just treat me as like a W-2 employee, um, which I really like come tax season because it's so much simpler than the first three years when I was working from home and keeping track of receipts and all the extra stuff that comes with that. And especially when you work from home, all the write-offs that you can potentially have. Um, so the last three years of my career, I have worked on site for the most part, aside from a stray remote job here and there. And all those studios have uh, brought me on like payroll, essentially as a temporary employee. Um, so I'm probably not the best person in terms of like the LLC side of things, but I would love to hear more. Yeah, so that's good to know. So you don't necessarily have to set yourself up legally as your own as an own business, as your own business. You can operate 
and be a, you said W-2? You can, and then some studios will just pay you at like 1099. Um, and then at the end of the year, when you do your taxes, you can, I think it's like a Schedule C, like self-employment form or something that you fill out. And um, that, you, you would enter your 1099 tax forms like you would a W-2. Um, and then it might just say like, what's your business name? And you can literally just put your name as your business um, for those purposes. Right, and who out of you guys has themselves set up as a business? Like their own business with a separate entity? Okay, cool. Ryan, um, why did you do that? And how, how do you get started doing that? What's the first step to set yourself up as a business? Um, I mean, there's a lot of layers in there to what Matt was saying. Um, you can do it for various purposes. Um, I mean, I'm not necessarily an individual anymore for that, you know, cause I'm running a company. So I had other motives to set up a company for, you know, and purposes of that. But even before that, um, before it was like uh, a company, it was myself and running a business. And to Matt's point, like there's a very difference of knowing W-2s and 1099s. And when in doubt, like if you're just starting off, save all the receipts um, and know like what something is for. Um, if you're going to a studio and they sign you on as a W-2, then that's a different realm. But if you're at home using your own computer, your own software, and you've paid for that, you know, you want to start to have a paper trail of that come tax season. That's like very important. Um, and, you know, work with an accountant because that's their specialty. Like, you know, you can, you can find some that will help, um, you know, cost wise that makes sense for people. Um, but I'm sure people have, you know, used parents or family members for advice when they were first starting out. Cause they're like, I can't afford this or that. Uh, what, what, um, do you have any advice for how to take care of this? Um, and, you know, it goes back to the mentorship, like ask them, ask, ask people, what have you done to navigate through this? Um, right. Absolutely. Andrew, you had a, something to add? Um, yeah. I mean, definitely, I, I would, I would definitely uh, reinstate the talk, talk to a CPA. Um, the, Reasons and the different business uh, classifications sort of vary uh, state by state, depending on state laws. So, you know, there there might be some tax advantages to certain classifications in, in some states, and then you don't get it in, in the same one. So it, it's always good to talk to a CPA. Uh, one thing overall that I like, and, and that was that was actually my initial reasoning for structuring it more as a business was to really keep the finances separate um, from my personal, uh, you know, sort of bank accounts and, and finances and things like that. It just made it a little bit easier for me to budget. Uh, I think for the first two years of freelancing, it, everything was just kind of going into my personal checking account. And it was sort of hard to say, well, that was just a restaurant I, I, I went to, you know, cause I was hungry versus that that was a business expense. Um, same thing with, you know, computer purchases and, and, and things like that, any equipment, software we, we need to get. It's a lot easier come tax time to just have everything as a, you know, a, a separate sort of bank statement, bank account that all this is our, our business expenditures. Um, it's way easier to keep track of that as well as on another advantage is uh, you can get business lines of credit. Um, 
you know, so if you need a new computer, if you're in the middle of a job and, you know, something fails and you need to run to the Apple store or wherever, uh, you could get a business line of credit, you have a credit card, but then of course all those payments are, you know, they're, they're coming from part of the business and, and it, everything's being kept uh, separate from your, your personal accounting. Right. I think that's really smart. Yeah, Ryan. I mean, I was going to just add to that too, that, you know, when you, you know, especially if we're talking to people that are coming out of school, you know, maybe starting a business right away is not something they want to do because you're novice at this industry and you might cut your legs off before you actually ever have an opportunity, you know, versus like kind of selling yourself as an individual saying, Hey, can I work for you? Hey, can I work for you? Like, and then you basically can get more opportunities, you know, tax stuff aside but how you're presenting yourself. If you're presenting yourself as a company, you're essentially reaching out and saying, hey, I'm, I'm your competitor, hire me. That doesn't necessarily jive with everybody. So, you know, keep that in mind. You know, some of the stuff that I feel like we're throwing out here is, uh, <laughs> it's a gray area to kind of understand where the motives and benefits come in play. Right, right. Yeah, Andrew? Uh, just one other quick thing I, I did want to add, uh, sort of going along with that, is that even now, uh, set up as a, as a business, I still do plenty of work uh, more along the lines of, of what Matt was saying, where you come on uh, as a temporary employee, basically, as, as a studio. Mm -hmm. it, I still have to be very flexible, and um, it, it really doesn't affect things. Some people might not like it if hey i'm a business and you gotta you know pay me through my business but for me uh i tend to be very flexible and, and have no problem being a w-2 employee for you know a few weeks and then doing more work uh that, that comes through my business it, it's not a hard line you know black and white sort of thing it's it's just another uh way to be flexible right right i think that's a really good note to end on actually be flexible be a sponge, be nice, <laughs> ask questions, <laughs> keep learning. <laughs> Definitely. I just want to thank all of you guys for sharing your time and your insights with us today. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Matt. And to everyone watching and listening, thank you. For more information, please visit the Access VFX website where you can find a catalog of podcasts, which are now bi-weekly a bunch of mentorship information, blogs, and more. So everybody stay well, stay safe. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There we go. End of another Access VFX podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about what we discussed, our mentoring program and events we're at, then head over to our website at www.accessvfx.org and follow us on social media. Big thank you for listening and until next time, bye.